Welcome to the RCC Points of View podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Residential Childcare Workers Online Forum. In this podcast episode, I speak with Charlotte Wilson, who is a team manager with the Care Inspector. Charlotte answers a range of questions about RCC with a particular focus on how the Cairn Spectre views current areas of prominence affecting the sector. Areas discussed in this podcast include the care review, the promise, cross-border placements, physical restraint and the challenges the Cairn Spectre have encountered during the COVID-19 pandemic. I found this interview interesting and it was good to hear from one of the Cairn Spectre management team. I really enjoyed interviewing Charlotte and hope you will enjoy listening too. So without further ado, please welcome Charlotte Wilson. Hi Charlotte, thanks so much for taking part in the podcast. So first question is just to tell us a bit about yourself and what your connection is to residential childcare in Scotland. Um, hi Joe. So yeah, I started working in uh, residential childcare about 20 years ago. Um, I was pretty convinced that I wanted to work with kids when I was at school and it, it seemed to be that the only option was to become a teacher. Um, so I, I left school and went to uni and did teaching and then um, meantime started working in a, a, a residential care home for children that was quite near to where I lived at the time. And I um, pretty much knew instantly that that was actually what I wanted to do, <laughs> not teaching. Um, so I dropped out of uni halfway through fourth year and <laughs> pursued a career in residential childcare instead. Um, so yeah, in the past 20 years, I've, I've worked in a variety of organisations, a variety of different roles. Obviously started out as a residential childcare worker, became a senior, a manager, um, mainly in services for, for children with disabilities, uh, children with autism. I worked with deaf children for a while as well. Um, obviously, you and I did the Masters in Residential Childcare together a few years back now. <laughs> Can't even mm-hmm. remember how long ago that was. Um, and uh, for the past three and a half years, I've been with the Care Inspectorate. Um, so I'm the uh, Service Manager for Children and Young People, which covers all of our um, regulated services for children and young people. So things like uh, care homes, secure care school care accommodation services, both mainstream boarding schools and um, special residential schools, as well as fostering adoption services, some housing support services and support services. And if that's not enough, I'm also the service manager for registration, um, which is all of our uh, new registration applications um, for all service types. So that's early learning and childcare, children and young people and adult services. And uh, we also deal with variations to conditions of existing services as well. Wow. Now that is one hell of a portfolio, I have to say. (laughs) Um, And in addition to that, you're also doing a PhD. So in respect of the PhD, tell me a bit about the focus and uh, and the focus area of your PhD and where you are in terms of this, you know, that aspect to the you know, your, your, your study? Yeah, so yeah, I'm doing a, a part-time PhD in my own time. Um, so I'm um, two years in, so after the summer I'll be going into third year, um, anticipating it taking about six years to complete, given that I'm doing it part-time, um, but we'll, we'll see how the next couple of years go. 
Um, so the focus of my study is looking at the impact of secure care on the identity of autistic young people. Um, and the reason that I, I chose to focus on that, obviously I've got a background in terms of supporting autistic young people, um, but it's not an area that's been well researched and there was some anecdotal evidence that there was more autistic children being placed in secure and I suppose I, I felt it was um, an area kind of worth exploring further. Um, in terms of progress, I'm just at the point of starting data collection really, um, obviously the, the first year we were pretty much focused on um, getting the literature review started and then um, working on my, my ethics approval and everything. So yeah, just at the point of starting data collection, which is pretty exciting to be getting going with some field work. Yeah, so in terms of you know, collecting data, and you know, are you interviewing people, or is it pretty much a different type of, um, you know, process in terms of gathering data? How are you? How are you managing that? Yeah, so I've got kind of a, a three-phased approach, um, and obviously at the moment it's been designed to be able to do that remotely, given the kind of pandemic situation we find ourselves in. Whether that will change, you know, as we move forward, I don't know. But at the moment, I've designed it to be able to be done remotely. Um, so the first phase of that is, is just a survey out to the secure units, um, just to give me that kind of baseline quantitative data. The second phase um, will be some focus groups with any young people who are interested in taking part because um, I really want them to help co-design the research. So I've got some ideas about how I would gather data from young people, but I want to speak to them and, and get their views on what they think is going to work best to engage them and um you know to be accessible to them and um yeah my intention is is um to use a kind of mixed methods diary approach so using a combination of like audio diaries um, artwork photographs and written diaries um because that gives a, a kind of broader range of accessibility for young people so um, they would submit diary entries in whatever format was their preferred medium um, over the course of a year, for example. As I say, I need to, to speak to the young people and see what they think about that and whether that's a good idea or not. That sounds really interesting. Um, I, I'm sure you're really you know, happy working with the Cairn Spectrum. It's a great career. But generally, when people are doing PhDs, they've got a kind of, maybe a kind of goal to eventually get into kind of the academic world is that something you can thinking about or is it for a different reason you're doing a phd um yeah I, i've not really thought about the future of my career i've never really had a career plan to be honest i've just kind of winged it and <laughs> taken opportunities as they've arisen um i certainly never had any plans to, to become a manager or anything like that when i started out as a, a residential childcare worker um so yeah, in terms of future, I don't really know um, what direction I want to go in. I'll, I'll see what opportunities come up and take it from there. But I've not got any to go anywhere anytime soon anyway. Oh, that's, uh, that seems to be the kind of what's worked for you so far. So why, why change <laughs> it? Um, so just in terms of that, you know, quite a, kind of a lot of experience, 20, you know, 20 years experience, pretty much connected to residential childcare. So I suppose looking at it from the care inspectorate's perspective and through that lens, does this care inspectorate have a viewpoint in terms of what's missing in Scotland? 
that will prevent children and young people entering the care system? Or if they have any, really? What's your personal opinion of that? Um, yeah, so I suppose in response to that, I would want to think about some of the findings in the promise. Um, and obviously the promise talks about, you know, the higher the level of, of family deprivation, the more likely children are to enter care. Um, so I think that that's, that's quite clear in showing us what's missing, um, that we need more and we need better support services and more early intervention. Um, in the plan, they talk about having a whole family support system, you know, through family support, peer and community support, service integration and family therapy. Um, so, yeah, I think those are, are some examples of ways that we could uh, prevent children and young people from entering the kind of looked after care system. Um, yeah. And actually, I think, you know, we're already starting to see some of the impact of that because the, the children that we're seeing being placed in residential care in Scotland have increasingly complex levels of need. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, if you think back five, ten years and the, the kids that we were coming, seeing coming into residential childcare then, I think those kids are now, you know, staying at home and, and in their communities. Now that's, that's quite interesting and, and, and hopeful as well. Um, but I'm sure you'd agree that because the children that are now coming into residential have got more complex needs, it kind of shines a light on some of the challenges for us in direct practice, you know, to be able to support children and families, you know, robustly in a way that's going to, you know, help them kind of stay together or, you know, have a, some sort of positive kind of destination in the future, you know. But well, thanks for that. It's something that, you know, I've heard, I've spoke about a few times in terms of, you know, the children who are remaining at home. But actually, it's interesting to hear that for somebody that's kind of maybe, you know, supporting people to, to inspect services. And, you know, if that's the stuff that you guys are getting back, that's quite heartening to hear. Yeah. So, important that staff have got the, the skills and uh, knowledge and experience to, to be able to appropriately support these young people um, because they are so complex and a couple of years ago we brought out admissions guidance to try and support services with that whole kind of assessment of young people and making sure that they were you know support, taking in young people that they actually had the skills and the resources to be able to support um, and that's been a, a kind of journey for us in terms of updating that on an ongoing basis um, and we've also hopefully in the next few months got guidance on personal planning coming out as well, which we hope will um, support services and kind of creating that coherent plan for young people and making sure that they're getting the right support from the right people at the right time. Well, that's great. And, um, I'm assuming you'll get that for the, the Cairns Petra Hub you know, in terms of if people were to Google that. Yeah, uh, yeah, on our website and if I've signed up to the provider update, any kind of new publications, um, that we put out will uh, be signposted in the provider update. And if you're not signed up to the provider update, you can do that just by going onto our website and um, it'll come up with a wee box and you can put in your details. That's great. So in terms of your current role as a, a manager and a leader, what do you think makes a, a good leader stroke manager? Um, I think reflection and um and having that kind of learning culture are really key um i've always been kind of keen to learn and develop myself but also you know for any organization that i've been employed in for that to be the case for for the the staff and the organization as well um and i'm quite reflective you know i remember even you know when i worked in 
um, residential care, childcare kind of driving home from a shift and you kind of replay key events and think about you know what happened and what you might do differently and what you've learned and things. Um, I think having a vision and being able to articulate and, and share that vision and take people on the journey with you, um, being able to affect change without it being done to people, you know, doing it with them and having that kind of distributed leadership approach. Um, and I'm very much for, you know, involving people in decision making and having kind of development groups to, to make sure everybody's involved and kind of taking forward um, any developments in the organisation. And just really, you know, empowering people to make decisions and um, mm -hmm. be autonomous. No, that's, that's really good. And I suppose you mentioned the promise. Um, what are your thoughts in, in terms of recommendations and do you think they'll become a reality? Um, so we, we know that the recommendations have been accepted by Scottish Government and obviously there's been work done on the plan already. So, you know, that, that's good signs of progress so far. Um, I'm really pleased that it says that uh, residential childcare can be the right place for some young people because we know that it should be a positive choice and not a last resort. Um, I think the focus on relational practice is really welcomed and it's something uh, that we've known for a long time to be really important, as well as that focus on values and culture. Um, talks about removing barriers to normal childhood experiences. Um, so children having sleepovers in care homes, for example, and we would agree with that and encourage services to take that approach of, you know, giving children normal experiences. Um, mm. It talks about uh, being kind of needs led as opposed to have, having blanket policies. And again, you know, we, we want to see services moving away from these, like the kitchen's locked at nine o'clock type approach and thinking more on an individual basis for young people. So all of that stuff we would see as being um, good practice. Um, also, it talks about the criminalization of, of looked after children. Um, and we've done some work with the uh, Police Scotland previously around that area. And again, I think that's something that, that's a bit of a journey and you know, we want to continue um, with that approach. Uh, yeah. In terms of um, continuing care as well, that's definitely something that we want to see services doing better. Um, we recently released a practice note that we uh, wrote jointly with Celsius and Clan Child Law, and we did some webinars around that as well. Um, and in the coming months, we've hopefully got some guidance coming out for young people on that as well, that we hope will help to you know, raise that up the agenda. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. So and just in terms of the promise, is there anything in particular that you would say that the care inspectors are, are currently focusing on in terms of to fill you know, what the, what the promised recommendations are saying, or is it more kind of, you know, a combination of things? In terms of our own work? Yeah. 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 Um, so um, internally, um, our uh, Chief Inspector for Children and Young People um, wrote a paper which went to our board. Um, unfortunately, all of this was kind of delayed by, by COVID and, um, you know, the fact that the the promise came out kind of round about the, the time of the pandemic. Uh, you know, I think people were uh, distracted by <laughs> by other things last year. But um, yeah, we're making progress with it now. So we've identified six key work streams. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the first of those is that we're going to look at our quality improvement frameworks, our inspection methodology, and our reporting. 
Um, we're going to look at participation, engagement and listening. Uh, the third is a common understanding value base and approach across regulators and scrutiny partners. We're going to look at equipping our inspection workforce. Uh, we're looking at building and reporting on the bigger picture. And the sixth work stream is proposing, supporting and preparing for legislative, regulatory and landscape change. Um, so we've got a number of pieces of work in progress to take those six, well, I mean, they're pretty broad work streams. Um, yeah. Yeah, much more detailed uh, pieces of work to, to take forward those work streams and a lot of them were already in progress even you know before the the promise report came out they were things that we were kind of working towards for a while anyway um you know our uh, development of quality frameworks for example has been a, an ongoing piece of work over the last few years and we're just in the early stages of uh, starting a review of those documents as well um We've got a particular focus on thinking about how we engage with young people. Um, I suppose, you know, my background in supporting uh, children with communication differences and my uh, master's dissertation focused on participation. So that's a particular area of interest for me. Um, but I think it's really important that we think about how uh, we engage with young people through our inspection activities, how we inform them about the process of inspection and our findings from inspection. Um, and how we engage with them actually when we're out on inspection as well. So yeah, we're, we're doing a number of pieces of work around that at the moment. Mm -hmm. So very, very, very busy. Uh, and, you know, obviously lots to do. So just, you know, in the fourth kind of possible kind of bit of while it's getting done on equipping, you know, inspectors, I suppose, up, you know, I use the term upskilling. Is there anything you think would be kind of useful, you know, just in terms of even your experience in terms of the care inspector, that would be an immediate thing you would do, you know, to help inspectors go out there and, you know, have a better feel for a service or whatever it might be. Yeah, so, I mean, we have a, a kind of ongoing learning and development plan for our inspection teams. Um, and that's obviously, you know, we, we uh, contribute to that and update that on an ongoing basis. Um, so it's kind of a role plan, really. Uh, one of the things that we're focusing on the moment is trauma training um, and yeah we want all of our inspectors to, to undertake that and have a better understanding of that and we've, we've done some training with the team on that previously um, but we've had a number of new inspectors start recently as well so we want to make sure that everybody's got a really good understanding of that. That's great so in terms of kind of like trauma you think about some of the kind of experiences young people come across and and you know those in practice um probably the physical restraint is one of the most traumatic for, for children and young people to experience and also for for the for the people who are you know carrying out physical interventions as well so for a care inspector point of view what's the position on physical restraint you know with regard to it being, you know some people are calling for it to be banned um, some people are calling for it, you know, to be, you know, for a restraint reduction approach. What, what's the care inspectors, you know, current position on that? So, I mean, obviously, this is a, a huge area of importance for us and for the sector. And you, you'll be aware of our involvement in both the Scottish Physical Restraint Action Group and the Scottish Network for the Reduction of Restrictive Practices, um, which kind of shows our, our commitment, I think, to. Um, you know, wanting to see improvement in this area of practice. Um, in terms of our, our position on whether or not it should be banned, 
Um, I mean, we definitely want to see a reduction in use because we know that, you know, some services are, are making too much use of it. And the, as you say, the traumatic impact of that, both on young people and on the staff who are caring for them. But having said that, we also see the unintended consequences of services that make a decision to stop using restraint altogether. Um, and some of that could be uh, impacting on high levels of staff turnover or high levels of staff absence, both of which obviously then impact on that relational approach to young people that we know is so important. Um, it, we might see increased levels of police involvement, including police restraint, which in my view is even more traumatic. Um, or we might see young people who aren't being kept safe and staff aren't meeting their duty of care. Um, mm. We've done with the, the Scottish Physical Restraint Action Group in particular, a number of pieces of work um, the, that group felt it was really important that we focus on the data and the definitions and I think those two things go hand in hand because if we can better tie down the definitions that will improve the data that we get in terms of you know what services are, are both recording for themselves and what they're reporting to us through our notification system as well. Um, we've recently done some work with the Scottish Physical Restraint Action Group on our notifications guidance um, and there was there was loads of really useful feedback from that group on what it would be helpful to include in that guidance um, and really how to strengthen the content of that guidance. So it's in a kind of draft form at the moment, um, but I'm hoping once that's finalised and approved that that will really help services in terms of understanding what they should be notifying us about, but also understanding what the purpose of those notifications are and what's likely to happen as a result of it. Because I think it should be seen as a positive thing, sharing that information with us, not a kind of punitive thing that, you know, services don't want to tell us about in case they're going to get into bother for it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that will help. We've also got um, the CERT conference coming up in September, where we're hoping, um, obviously, along with uh, the Scottish Physical Restraint Action Group and Celsius to do some um, input on restraint. And um, following that, we've uh, we've got a survey that we'd like to go out to the sector, as well as a self-assessment tool around uh, restrictive practices and the use of physical restraint that, again, we're, we're hoping will help to services to reflect on, on what they're doing well in areas that they could improve. OK, thanks very much for that. So now kind of moving on to something you know, else in this respect, I, can, I suppose the use of residential care in, you know, in the UK. Um, and the, the, the whole kind of topic of cross-border placements. So there's quite a lot of cross-border placements, you know, coming across from certainly England and Wales and Scotland, especially in secure care. Um, what, what's the, the care inspector's position on that? You know, is there a, is there, have they got a, a viewpoint about cross-border placements or, you know, is it pretty much, you know, looking up in the air? Yeah, so this has been another, another kind of significant area of, of work for us. Um, over the past couple of years, we've seen increasing numbers of children being placed cross-border. And in April of this year, we actually brought out a notification uh, for services to tell us when they um, admit a young person who's been placed from out with Scotland. Um, so not just Ireland, but also from, uh, from Wales or Ireland. And the reason for that was to try and give us some assurances about those placements. Um, we know that some services are, are doing it really well in terms of their assessment and their admissions process. 
um, that there are a lot of children that we've had concerns about. Um, you know, concerns about the legality of placements, whether children's uh, needs are being met and whether their rights are being upheld. Um, so we wanted some more um, assurances around that. Um, last year, we set up a, a small working group internally to really try and dig down into some of the detail. And we've got a, a paper that's going to our senior leadership team in the next few weeks for approval. We're hoping on the back of that to publish uh, some form of kind of best practice guidance for services because if, if services are taking children cross border uh, you know we want to see them doing it well and, uh, and children being properly supported with that. Um, we've also been doing some some work with Scottish Government and with Ofsted as well so that you know where we do have concerns about a placement um, if we're not getting anywhere with the placing authority then we've got a route through Ofsted to try and address that. Um, yeah. There's been talk of, of a ban on cross-border placements um, that would obviously require legislative change but our view uh, certainly is that for some children a Scottish placement might be the best placement and um, you know they might live close to the border they might previously have lived in Scotland or have family in Scotland so what uh -huh. we want is children getting the right placement for them um, it's not so much about whether they're you know, Scottish or anything like that. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really interesting. I suppose there is a, a number of different, you know, reasons why a young person might come into Scotland, or equally why Scottish children might go to England or mm -hmm. Wales. And, and is that something you guys focus on as well? Is is about children who are going from Scotland over to over the border to England? Is it just purely the, the other way? So children, kids coming from England or, or Wales or or Ireland. So the, the issue of Scottish children being placed in England is, is more something our strategic teams would look at and the teams that I oversee are focused on the uh, kind of regulated services in Scotland so um, so if the children aren't placed in a regulated service in Scotland then we don't kind of have a remit but certainly the strategic teams uh, take an interest in that. Um, I also had a, a meeting with uh, Wales earlier this week and they were kind of expressing similar experiences in terms of English children being placed into Wales as well so no it's really it's really interesting and it just kind of, kind of I suppose kind of highlights the the thought that goes into it you know for the care spectrum you know and you know the rationale behind why you know you guys are kind of asking questions and, and making sure that children's rights are upheld essentially you know so it's Really, kind of, I think it's really important that that scrutiny is in place, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose just in terms of you, you mentioned the Scottish Physical Restraint Action Group and the other physical restraint um, action group that I'll even try and pronounce um, because it's so difficult. So well done for that. Um, is there any other kind of groups you're involved in that you're kind of proud of uh, in terms of any sort of the kind of current, you know, or you know, interim achievements that's, kind of, that's happened or things that you might have thought, oh, that's actually been really beneficial at this even early stage. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what really we, what we really want to see is, is the sector kind of working closely together, supporting each other and sharing examples of good practice. And I think that the, the Scottish Physical Restra Restraint Action Group is one really good example of that, where, you know, the sector have really come together following that call at the SART conference a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, they've worked really hard to try and um, achieve some clarity on, on what direction it is we want to go in with that work. 
um, and also to kind of share some examples of good practice as well. Um, so for me, that's a really positive piece of work. Um, we also link into other groups like the Social Work Scotland Residential Childcare Forum and Educating Through Care Scotland. I just met with them earlier this week. And again, I think, you know, there's good opportunities there for kind of networking and, and services, just working together to support each other. Some of the concerns and some services that we've had uh, concerns about previously has been where they have been quite siloed um, and maybe haven't been kind of linked into the wider sector. So I, th I think that's really important that we see services doing that. Um, we're also obviously, you know, linked into um, to organisations like CELSA, CYCJ and um, the, the Commissioner's Office and things like that. And again, you know, for us, it's about that connectedness and kind of modelling that connectedness to the sector. You know, we don't want to be doing things in isolation. Um, I'm also on the, um, the CERC editorial board and the um, planning committee for the CERC conference as well. And, you know, again, I think they're, they're good opportunities for different ways of kind of engaging the sector, um, you know, having accessible publications and um, different kind of learning opportunities at the conference. No, that, that's brilliant. So in terms of COVID, so it's impacted in service delivery, as we all know. You know, people have had to adapt and diversify, and pretty much it's been quite a, a challenging um, couple of years. So in terms of the care inspector, I suppose what, what, kind of, what, what kind of impact has COVID had for the care inspector? Uh, and, you know, is there anything you know, you guys are concerned about kind of, as, as we came out of, you know, pretty much the, the most challenging part of the pandemic? Uh, and, and normal services are beginning to resume. Is there anything you're seeing or, you know, just anything at all? So, I mean, obviously the, there's been huge concerns about uh, outbreaks in care homes for, for adults and older people. Um, but in terms of my teams and the focus on children and young people services, we stopped our inspection programme last year, um, kind of at the early point of the pandemic, just to try and reduce that, you know, risk of transmission to services. Um, but what we started doing instead was having regular phone contact with, with managers of services. And that was really positive for us, actually, um, it, you know, for inspectors to build those relationships with services. But we've had a lot of positive feedback from, uh, from managers and from services that they find that really supportive as well. And again, you know, thinking about that kind of relational approach. So, so that was really one of the kind of positive unintended consequences. Um, we also set up relationship managers for smaller providers. So we have, um, we have relationship managers for uh, large providers and uh, we have link inspectors for uh, local authority areas as well. Um, but for any provider who had, I think, three or more services registered with us, we, we created relationship managers from our inspection team. Um, again, just to provide that kind of ongoing support and point of contact. And again, something we've had really positive feedback about both from the inspectors and from um, the services. Um, towards the summer of last year, we started doing some remote inspections. So that was a bit of a challenge for us, thinking about how to use the technology. Um, you know, in theory, it, it all sounds great that you, you can look at care plans and everything and remotely, but it, you know, there was a lot of challenges to that that we had to try and work through. Um, thinking about the best way to for people to share documents with us so that we weren't breaching data protection all of that kind of thing and um, so that was fun and um, towards the end of last year we started uh, resuming our inspection program 
it kind of started off with a, a blended approach of uh, some, some aspects we would do remotely with elements of a site visit. Um, and we've moved now to a position of, of mainly uh, being on site, although we're still giving that feedback bit at the end of the inspection. We're still doing that bit remotely. And we're, we're just keeping that under review, really. You know, sometimes we have an inspection planned and then there's an outbreak, so we have to change our plans. And that, that's pretty much a weekly scenario at the moment, but that's, that's the way it is. In terms of an inspection plan, obviously there are a lot of services in the last year that we should have inspected that we didn't. So that's a concern for me, um, you know, particularly when we're thinking about you know, the children that I was talking about earlier, that kind of increase in complexity of needs and, you know, the, the impact on services of the pandemic and, um, yeah, just thinking about how all of that kind of hangs together. So we're really trying to focus our resources on the services that we think will benefit from our support more. Um, so thinking about higher risk services, those with a kind of poorer grading history, or um, that have had a longer period of time since the last inspection as well. So there are kind of inspection priorities at the moment um, in terms of the future and whether we ever get back to a, a kind of more normal <laughs> inspection plan, I don't know, or, or whether COVID will have a kind of lasting impact on how we use our resources. I think that still remains to be seen at the moment. Yeah, uh, actually really interesting as well. And I think we've all had to diversify and you know essentially survive, you know, if that's the correct kind of term to use um but it's just about how we you know in terms of that as you say with the different use of technology it'll be interesting to see how inspection does evolve as we move forward but i suppose in terms of just literature or kind of documentation that you would for your perspective that you would say to you know a, a manager of a, of a residential service or, or, or care staff to prepare for inspection because it can, it can be quite a kind of daunting experience for, for staff uh, and, and for managers is there anything you would say get access to this document because that really help you prepare yeah i think our quality frameworks are, are key and um, we've got quality frameworks for all different service types and um, they're on our website if you go to uh, professionals, publications for professionals, something like that, and then it kind of scrolls down, and then there's a whole quality framework section. So there's one for uh, for care homes and special residential schools. There's one for uh, secure care. There's one for mainstream boarding schools. You name it, <laughs> there's a quality framework for it. Um, so that I mean, they give you a really good sense of what we look at on inspection. You know, there's some examples in there in terms of what would be a strength and what would be a weakness. Um, but they're also a really good tool for services to use for their own self-assessment and they were designed to be used in that way because actually improvements in services shouldn't be led by us, they should be led by services thinking about, you know, this is what we do well and this is where we need to improve and, um, and we should be going in and agreeing with that essentially, you know, if it's a good service. Um, we don't want services to have to be directed by us. Um, there's also um, tool, a kind of toolbox it's called in the quality framework so for each section there's loads of links to other documents and, um, and bits of guidance and legislation and examples of good practice and so yeah just loads of loads of really useful uh, stuff there so if you were thinking oh that's an area of practice that I want to improve in but I don't know where to start I, you know I would say look at that toolbox and, and you would get some really good suggestions from that. That's brilliant. Um, and the thing is, as much as that sounds 
kind of obvious. Some people might not be aware of it, you know, and it's, it's always worthwhile just highlighting where these documents can be found and how to use them properly, you know, because it's that bit. But when something's created, it's only it's only worthwhile if it's actually getting used in practice. And no one looks at it, I know. Yeah, aye. Well, that, that's fantastic. So I suppose it's about a question about yourself to get back to, you know, the past, um, your younger self, shall we say, which wasn't that long ago for yourself, Charlotte, you know, um, when you first started out in, in practice, which was actually quite a while ago, you know, that was 20, you know, pretty much 20 years ago. So you're probably quite young, you know. So if you could give yourself a bit of advice that you could, you know, kind of use now in practice, what would that have been? Um, I think to never give up. I think sometimes the, the slow pace of change can feel really frustrating. And I know that that's something that, that I've really struggled with in the past is, you know, feeling like you're not making any progress because, you know, things like culture particularly can be so slow to change. But then if you, if you stand now and look back at where we were 20 years ago, it's a completely different picture. So things have changed. It's just sometimes when you're in it, you don't notice it. No, that's a great bit of advice. And I think in our, our sector, um, some of the kind of, you know, the, the outcomes might not look obvious, even when you're supporting children and families. But it's that bit about when you meet, even when you meet people, you know, a couple of years later or 10 years later or even 20 years later, it's only then you realise the, the kind of impact that you actually had, you know, yeah. and that, that's that's quite a powerful thing. And it's kind of not measurable at the time, but it's later on, you know, that's, that's really quite 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 evident. Yeah. No, but listen, that pretty much kind of concludes my questions. Is there anything else, you know, you'd like to kind of say in respect to, to people listening uh, about inspection or, you know, words of wisdom or whatever it might be, uh, be really quite interested to hear it. Um, no, I don't think I've got anything else to add. Well, that's, that's a good sign. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, with that, I just want to thank you for, you know, you're a really busy, you know, professional. You know, based on the stuff you were saying at the very beginning, there's a lot of stuff that you do in your working week and then your PhD study. study. So I, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot out of this. Um, so thank you very much, Charlotte. No problem. Thank you so much to Charlotte for taking part in the podcast. Lots of interesting information for me to take away. I hope you found the podcast episode useful. And as always, please share this across your networks. And if you'd like to take part, please get in touch by sending me a DM. Thank you very much.